We whose journeys are always beginning. We whose mission always awaits us. We whose visions are bent on loving. We gather together here. We gather as a community drawn together out of common need, each carrying our own bundle of treasures and dreams. We gather together seeking meaning, yearning to understand life in all its dimensions, as it challenges and expands, as it burdens, as it consoles and heals. We gather together with questions, the kinds of questions that provoke us to the path of action. We gather with hope, the kind of hope that pulses on even through uncertain times. We gather with tenderness, the kind of tenderness that only can be born from knowing human capabilities as well as human imperfections. We gather wanting certainty and having none, but we are ever wakeful to possibilities as we seek discernment and gentle judgment. We gather then, unbounded but close. We gather drawn to reconnect with the depths of life, to turn our attention to the spirit which flows around us and within us always. We gather to join with others in building beloved community, dreaming a realm of love and justice into being, helping to create a better world for all. Well, these opening words adapted from a piece by Marnie Harmony welcome all those who have gathered on Zoom this morning to take part in our Sunday service. Welcome to members of the congregation, to friends and visitors who are with us live this morning, joining from all over the country and even around the globe. And not forgetting those who may be listening in by the podcast or watching the service on YouTube at a later date. For those who don't know me, my name's Jane Blackhall and I've been part of this congregation for over 21 years. I'm now also the ministry coordinator here at Essex Church and also your ministry student on placement as part of my final year of training with Unitarian College. If you're here for the first time today, a special welcome to you. I'm glad you're here, glad you found us. I hope you find something meaningful in the service, something that speaks to your condition. Please do hang around for a chat afterwards if you'd like to or drop us an email to introduce yourself. It's a little bit harder to get to know people in these days of Zoom, so, so do feel free to get in touch. And if you're a regular here, thank you for all you do to welcome all who come. Even on Zoom, every single one of us plays a part in co-creating this community, this sacred space we hold, this place for comfort and challenge, connection with that which is within us and beyond. So whoever you are, however you are, whatever state of mind and body you woke up in this morning, you are welcome in this space, just as you are. Make yourselves at home, virtually speaking. We always say, feel free to do what you need to do to be comfortable at this hour. For some of you that might mean keeping your camera off and lurking, that is totally all right by us. It's always lovely to see your faces and to get a sense of who's gathered here, but there's no compulsion. And there will be opportunities to join in as we go along, but they're very much invitations, not obligations. You can sit in the virtual back row and keep your head down with our blessing. In this morning's service, we will be uh, reflecting on judgment not the hellfire and damnation sort, don't worry, but judgment as a necessary aspect of life, making considered decisions about how to act or who to trust on the basis of often limited and confusing evidence, and the link between judgment and justice, 
how we live out our values or not in the decisions we make each day. So I'm going to light our chalice now as we do each Sunday and at other times when we gather. This simple ritual connects us with Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists the world over and it reminds us of the historic and progressive religious tradition of which this little gathering is part. We light this flame to ignite the sacred power of justice. We light this flame so it may be a beacon of hope in moments of uncertainty, fear, anxiety and the unknown. We light this flame and are emboldened by its blaze, knowing our strength as a prophetic and powerful people is rooted in the many and diverse ways we each answer the call to love. And let's take a further moment now to think of all those joys and concerns that we've heard expressed. All those little windows into our shared human condition and the life of the world. Let's hold them and each other in compassion and loving kindness as we move into an extended time of prayer and reflection now. And let's do perhaps whatever we need to do to get ourselves into the right state of body and mind for it. Maybe shift your position, adopt a prayerful posture, you might want to close your eyes or soften your gaze, whatever helps you get your heart in the right place to be fully present with yourself, each other and that larger presence which holds us all. Spirit of life, God of all love, in whom we live and move and have our being, as we turn our attention to the depths of this life, the cosmic mystery and wisdom that abides in all that is, we tune into your holding presence within us and amongst us. We gather here to be quiet and to pray, to find a time for our inner selves, our souls and our spirits which lie hidden and so often neglected within us. Let us now sit quietly and wait for the voice within. Let us simply listen and be still for just a while. Some of us this day will feel empty and tired, grey and listless. But emptiness and tiredness are also prayer, a cry for spiritual food, and an aching need for the soothing and refreshment and strength we need to go on. Some of us feel alone, all too aware of our need for someone to love us. This too is a prayer without words, a longing and a sorrow which seeks for the healing spirit of love, the embrace of God's concern for us in spirit and in soul, 
and in the practical hands of caring people. Some of us are happy, some content, some have hopes and plans for tomorrow. And all these are prayers too, prayers of giving, of gratitude, of creating thought and dreams. So let us gather with our wordless prayers, these prayers of our inner selves, our inner truth. May God be with us in these prayers, sustaining them and enabling us to grow ever more aware of our wordless selves. May we be aware of the waters of our own spirit, which are always there for us to drink, if we will sit still and wait and listen. And let us take a moment now to focus our loving thoughts and prayers on all those who are suffering in our world right now. Through illness or injury, isolation or injustice. And let us pray too for those who care, those who act and speak to improve the lot of those in need. In a moment or two of stillness, let us call to mind a person or a situation that's in need of our prayers this morning. And let's take a further moment to focus our thoughts and our prayers on all that we have to be grateful for right now. The goodness that persists despite all the world's challenges and uncertainty. All the kindness and beauty and pleasure we've known and witnessed. In another moment of stillness, let us call to mind something we feel moved to give thanks for. Spirit of life, God of all love, as this time of prayer comes to a close, we offer up our joys and our concerns, our hopes and our fears, our beauty and our brokenness. And we call on you for insight, healing and renewal. As we look forward to the coming week, help us to live well each day and be our best selves, using our unique gifts in the service of love, justice and peace. Amen. The Smallest Biggest Number by Erica A. Hewitt. This piece was written by Unitarian Universalist minister Erica Hewitt nearly a year ago in early March 2020, just as the world was beginning to grasp the seriousness 
of the COVID-19 pandemic. She reflects on the great difficulty and vital importance of making good judgments in complex and ambiguous situations. She also reminds us we need to bring our values and ethics to this process of judgment, discernment and decision-making. She begins with a few words by another UU minister, Teresa I. Soto. In this community, we hold hope close. We don't always know what comes next, but that cannot dissuade us. We don't always know just what to do, but that will not mean that we are lost in the wilderness. We rely on the certainty beneath, the foundation of our values and ethics. Erica Hewitt continues, I serve as minister of a 60 member congregation in Maine. And every time I help decide whether the weather's bad enough to cancel the Sunday service, I know that someone's going to grumble. The same weather can elicit responses from, there's hardly any snow, to, I can't possibly clear my driveway. 60 people looking at the same roads don't just have different opinions, but also a multiplicity of perspectives. Most of the leaders I know are being forced to translate that decision-making pressure to an unknown, potentially lethal virus, whose patterns can neither predict nor fully yet understand as it makes its way through a country of nearly 333 million people. It's no wonder that those leaders are crumbling, not because of overblown fears, but because it's distressing to make decisions that have vast, nearly unimaginable consequences for the people we love. Should we ask people to come to work? Should we still hold our event, knowing that participants will receive soul nourishment, but risk physical exposure? Should our family take this once in a lifetime trip? Every should we is haunted by the ghost of what we'll wish we had known. Ethical culture leader, Lois Kellerman has said, that the smallest number in ethics is two. I believe, moreover, that the most ethically driven decisions prioritize the most vulnerable members of any given community. Moral decision-making hinges not on the I and not even on the interconnected web of we, but on the most fragile strands in the web. As our leaders make tough decisions, terrible by nature, because there are no good decisions in the chaotic fear of what looms, our communities are being tested for their tolerance for uncertainty, as well as how much grace they choose to extend 
towards the leaders making those high stakes but values-driven decisions. Our communities, bless them, hold them, keep them, are also beginning to absorb the lonely, painful cost of social distancing. If two is the smallest number in ethics, it's also the smallest seed of certainty. The way not to get lost. Because the ultimate test, when the fear and grief finally give way to clarity, will be knowing ourselves by how well we cared for one another. Erica Hewitt concludes with a few short words of prayer. We are hunkering and hoarding great shimmering goodness, though you call us to be better than that. Remind us that you delight first and always in showing up in the spaces between people, no matter how big those spaces are. Amen. Words by Erica Hewitt on the difficulty and necessity of good judgment in our decision-making, especially when we are living through such complex and uncertain times as these. Thank you, Chloe. So we've come now to a time of meditation. You might like to have a wiggle and get as comfortable as you can in your chair. If you are in a chair, put your feet flat on the floor, perhaps to help ground and steady yourself. You might want to close your eyes. Our words for meditation today are by Arjuna Arda, and they tackle another aspect of judgment, perhaps an aspect which is at the root of some of our squeamishness around the concept. The fact that we humans so often judge other people, judge each other and judge ourselves. It seems we often feel we ought to be non-judgmental or at least aspire to being so. But in reality, I don't know many people, if any, who really are. and I'm not sure it's possible, really. So in this piece, rather than saying don't judge others, Arjuna Arda is saying something a bit more subtle, I reckon. Something more like, yeah, judgment is part of navigating life. Just don't cast yourself as better or worse than anyone else in the judging because we're all a bit of a mixed bag. Another quote I found along the way, a traditional saying quoted by the Sufi teacher Jamal Rahman, puts it more simply. Make no judgment in which there is no compassion. Make no judgment in which there is no compassion, both and. So these words will take us into a good few minutes of shared stillness, during which we'll put our chalice cam up on screen in case you find it restful to watch the moving flame. And for our meditation music this week, we have a lovely well-known tune from Abby and Peter. But as always, these words, these images and the music, they're just an offering, not an obligation. You're free to think your own thoughts, meditate in your own way. So just a few words then from Arjuna Arda to take us into the silence. Whenever a judgment or evaluation arises within you, whether positive or negative, 
add these three words, just like me. You can go ahead and judge another as lazy, but be inclusive. He is so lazy, just like me. She is arrogant, just like me. They are incompetent. She is unreliable. He is angry, just like me. But make sure you call back positive judgments in the same way. The Dalai Lama is so wise, just like me. She is compassionate, just like me. They are courageous. She is creative. He is generous, just like me. And in this way, call back every judgment to yourself and realise that there is no other out there. It's all you. Make no judgment in which there is no compassion.
At the church coffee morning on Tuesday, I accidentally gave away a bit of a spoiler about this Sunday's service theme. And not entirely unexpectedly, the news that we were going to think about judgment this week provoked a bit of a reaction. I guess it doesn't seem very Unitarian, at least not at first glance. Judgment sometimes seems to be a bit of a dirty word amongst religious liberals. Quite a few of us, after all, have consciously walked away from other traditions where judgment is more of a thing more central to the theology. And perhaps for that reason, we tend to associate the idea, the word judgment, with that prospect of being condemned to hell for all eternity, often for things, supposed transgressions, that often seem no big deal to us liberal religious types. So like I said earlier, let me reassure you, I'm not talking about God's eternal judgment, not this morning anyway, not talking about the verdict as to whether we'll be sent upstairs or down for eternity on the basis of how naughty or nice we've been. Instead, this week, I'm mostly thinking about judgment in the sense of discernment, which is an unavoidable part of life, making decisions about how to act, who to trust, on the basis of often limited or confusing evidence, and trying to make those judgments justly and wisely in the light of those values that we hold most dear. Every single day of our lives, to a more or less conscious or active degree, we're making judgments about what is true or fair or right, whether that's factually right or morally right, and what is the best course of action for us to take day by day. In that piece by Erica Hewitt, which Chloe read for us earlier, we were taken back a year in time to the early days of the pandemic, when people were only just beginning to get to grips with the gravity of the situation and starting to take big decisions on the basis of scant and sketchy information. As Hewitt reminded us, even in the days before the pandemic, when there was heavy snowfall, say, and she had to make a call as to whether or not to call off a Sunday service, even then it was hard to get a consensus. Everybody has their own perspective, their own priorities, their own tolerance of risk and so on. How much harder then was the judgment call that led so many churches, including ours, to shut their doors indefinitely in the face of COVID-19? Particularly in the US, in the Unitarian Universalist Association, our sister church over there, the leadership came out really quite early to say that congregations should plan to be meeting online only until at least the summer of 2021. At, the lot of time, at that time, a lot of people thought that was quite an extreme reaction, but of course, it seems to have turned out to be quite prescient. Of course, as well as these collective community judgments, we're each having to make our own personal judgment calls each day relating to life in a time of COVID and how best to live it. Now, we've got a lot more information to go on than we had a year ago, but that doesn't always help. Sifting through the avalanche of information that's open to us now is quite an undertaking, not just in terms of the sheer volume or the emotional impact, but in terms of separating the wheat from the chaff. This is another form of judgment, or we might say discernment, distinguishing reliable and relevant sources of information from misinformation, government and corporate spin, conspiracy theories, and so on. Even solid scientific sources are liable to change their messaging over time as new data comes in and the scientific consensus shifts, which is as it should be, but many find such shifts quite confusing. How do we know who or what to place our trust in? Well, critical thinking, determining which sources are trustworthy and which are to be taken with a shed load of salt, that is a vital part of good judgment. And it takes a long time, perhaps a lifetime, to build up those critical thinking skills. 
to establish that bank of wise advisors and trustworthy sources from the foundations of what we know personally to be true. But even if we've got critical thinking cracked to some degree, if we've amassed a load of trustworthy evidence on which to base our decision making, and I, I should drop in at this point, that's one of the standard definitions of judgment, the ability to make considered decisions on the basis of evidence. The next step from amassing all that evidence is to integrate or synthesize the information. And generally that's not an easy task. We'll often find that different bits of evidence point in different directions, sometimes subtly different, sometimes radically different. So how do we decide which ones to give priority to? Judgments, if they are to be truly just, they need to be made with reference to our values. So at least we might think of the basics, the golden rule or one that's important to Unitarians, the inherent worth and dignity of every person might guide us. But again, it's the work of a lifetime to clarify what matters most to us, to hone our moral intuitions such that we've developed an ethical yardstick against which to measure our decision making. And as Erica Hewitt said, the most ethically driven decisions prioritise the most vulnerable. Moral decision-making hinges not on the I, not even on the interconnected web of we, but on the most fragile strands in the web. The ultimate test, when the fear and the grief finally give way to clarity, will be knowing ourselves by how well we cared for one another. End quote. Now, it seems right that a church like ours should be guided in its judgment by such a principle. We often frame our values in terms of caring about those who are on the margins of society, those who are often oppressed or overlooked. So in this case, in the case of COVID, the most vulnerable might refer to older people, people with pre-existing health conditions, people who are forced by poverty or discrimination of various sorts into situations where they're put at greater risk of catching COVID-19. But even so, that intention to prioritise the most vulnerable, that is still an ambiguous guide to action. On the whole, in the case of COVID, we've taken it to mean protect the most vulnerable from catching this deadly disease at all costs. But Hewitt herself acknowledged that our communities are also beginning to absorb the lonely, painful cost of social distancing. And indeed, some of the people in those most vulnerable groups have said, I can't bear the isolation, I'd rather take my chances. In complex situations, and you don't need me to tell you this, there's rarely one clear, unequivocal right answer. Still, once we've discounted the misinformation, weighed up our priorities, made reference to our values, we might come to some sort of consensus about a general direction of travel that's a bit more right and a direction that's a bit more wrong. For now, at least, collectively, we seem to have agreed that mostly staying at home is the least worst option. Now, I've made living in a time of COVID the main focus of this exploration of judgment so far, just because it's at the front of most of our minds these days, and it has been for much of the last 12 months. But of course, there are and there always have been judgment calls to make in every sphere of life. So let's broaden the consideration of judgment out a bit further with another challenging aspect. As we considered in the meditation earlier, one way or another, we're often judging other people. At both the personal and the societal level, we have to distinguish truth from lies, good intentions from bad ones. And that's all just part of the process of our everyday self-protection and survival. We often ask ourselves of strangers, acquaintances, experts and leaders, is this person on the level or am I being conned? Can I take this person at their word or am I being manipulated or given the runaround? 
we often want to think the best of people, but we know in life we will encounter those who don't play fair. It makes me think of the Bible verse, Matthew 10, 16, when Jesus tells his followers, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Yes, of course, go out into the world in a spirit of love and kindness and generosity, but don't be daft. Be a little bit discerning. We religious liberals often pride ourselves on being non-judgmental. And in terms of listening to the tales of other people's life experience, that is generally a great principle to have. Many of us have made dodgy choices at various points along the way, and we wouldn't want to be condemned or written off on the basis of these anomalous episodes. And we haven't walked in another's shoes, so who are we to judge, we might say. Besides, we liberals tend to be fairly laid back about what counts as a valid life choice anyway, so we might be a lot less prone to judge people's life stories by default. Also, we like to think of ourselves as being open-minded, ready to listen to alternative views, perhaps to seek common ground and bear in mind the possibility always that we might be mistaken. All of these, generally speaking, are very good things, very Unitarian values. Don't get me wrong, but I would like us to think a little bit harder about this idea of being non-judgmental as an ideal. The sense that sometimes crops up that our values of open-mindedness and pluralism require us to radically accept anything and everything, to suspend judgment of all times. I hope it isn't a contentious thing to say, but sometimes I reckon we should be judgmental. We religious liberals can collectively be quite judgment-averse, conflict-averse. Sometimes we so want to be nice that we decide not to decide, not to take a view. There can be a tendency to hedge our judgments in qualifications and maybes, but at least occasionally, we do need to get off the fence and take sides, pronounce that something is morally right or wrong, true or false, rather than avoiding the issue, attempting to sustain a neutral position and remaining above the fray. We need to bring it back to our core principles again, and don't make a fuss is not a core principle. We are, after all, a values-based community, and there are some essential values we should uphold. The University Unitarian Church in Seattle has a congregational mission statement, which is one of the best articulations of those essential Unitarian values that I've come across so far. Amongst other things, it calls on the congregation to vocally and actively oppose injustice and stand in prophetic judgment of all that would diminish the equality and dignity of human beings or harm the web of life. Stand in prophetic judgment of all that would diminish the equality and dignity of human beings or harm the web of life. That's it. Judgment just comes with the territory of justice seeking. And that goes for injustices and unfairnesses on a much smaller scale close to home, as much as the big global issues, I'd say. As Desmond Tutu once put it, if you're neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say that you're neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. It's tricky territory, this business of judgment, whether that's discernment of what to do for the best in a complex and messy world, or assessment of who and what is worthy of our trust, or taking a moral stand to vocally and actively oppose injustice wherever we witness it. None of this is easy. But judgment, it seems, is an unavoidable part of our individual and collective lives. 
So in the days to come, may we each be blessed with the gift of wise judgment. And may our judgment be tempered with humility, kindness and compassion always. May this be so for the greater good of all. Amen. Time for us to sing. Today's hymn has rather traditional words, um, courtesy of John Bunyan, no less. What does the Lord require? And in fact, they're based on famous words by the prophet Micah. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God? I think that fits quite well with what we've been exploring, that need to do justice, which requires us to do judgment rather than avoiding difficult issues, but to balance it judiciously with mercy and kindness in a spirit of humility, which sets us neither above nor below anyone else. The words will be up on your screen shortly if you want to sing along. You can sing along with a recording of us. Um, this was the congregation back at the church in October 2018. If you think you were there, see if you can hear yourself in the recording. Uh, we'll all have our microphones muted this morning, though, so, so you, won't, you won't be heard today if you want to sing along. Feel free just to listen, though, if you'd rather.
just a few announcements now. Um, thanks to Janine for hosting so professionally today, Chloe for our reading, uh, Abby and Peter for the lovely music. That was our first attempt at a virtual collaboration facilitated by Abby, which I think was smashing. Thanks, Abby. As ever, there are a number of opportunities for us to connect congregationally in the week ahead. Coffee morning at 10.30 on Tuesday on Zoom. Lively conversation again this week. You just never know what you're going to get. Some weeks it's debating the merits of Brussels sprouts. The next it's an in-depth exploration of Unitarianism. Thank you at all for giving us a workout this week with your questions. Heart and Soul, our contemplative spiritual gathering continues this week. It's on generosity. Uh, I think I've got space for one or two more tonight if you want to squeeze in at the last. Even if you've never been before, it's not too late to start. Newcomers are always welcome. Uh, don't forget we'll have virtual coffee time after the service today to chat in small groups if you'd like. And if you can bear it, we'd like to take a group photo after the closing music. So stick around for that if you can. We'll be back next week on Zoom at 10. Uh, Sarah's taking the service next week. It's fine to share the Zoom link with trusted others. And if you're new, as I said at the start, please do get in touch to introduce yourself. Drop us an email or uh, stay on for a chat. Another reminder is that FUSE, the Festival of Unitarians in the South East, is coming up in a couple of weekends' time. That's entirely online this year, as you'd imagine. 25 quid for a whole day of interesting options. Uh, Jeff Jones is offering a session on Walt Whitman and his mysticism of the body. Sheena Gabriel will be exploring the legacy of Hildegard of Bingen. Richard Boba will be offering guidance on deepening your meditation practice. And our own Sarah Tinker will be speaking on how small groups can help to build community. There'll also be a seminar from the poet and theologian Paul Tuma and a quiz. Should be good. Um, most of the events are on Saturday the 20th of February and there's a link to sign up in the weekly email. Even if you don't go to the whole thing, we're going to encourage you all to go to the Fuse Sunday morning service that weekend. We won't hold our own Kensington service on the 21st, so we'll remind you about that nearer the time. So time for our benediction now which is loosely adapted from words by Carl Seberg and our closing music is a lovely bit of Schubert again from Abby and Peter so I invite you if you can to select gallery view once again at this point so we can all see each other and get a sense of our community and connectedness as we close Through our temporary lives, the great currents of history run. Let us keep the channels open and free as best we can, so as not to obstruct purposes greater than our own. Let us keep our minds set on the high aspirations that bind us into one sharing fellowship of loving hearts. Let us seek a balance between just discernment and generosity of spirit, holding to our highest values as we chart our daily course of action. And in the week to come, may we remain ever mindful that we're each part of an interdependent web connected to those we know and those we will never know in an inescapable network of mutuality. And so may we live wisely and well, acting with solidarity and care. Amen.